Up next, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR Reality Check Radio. Good morning, everyone. Now, you're on Rodney Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Oh, we're in for a great treat today. But first, I got to tell you, I have only ever met the people that make this show happen and Reality Check Radio Real by text and Zoom. And this weekend, I got to spend the weekend with them. And oh my goodness, I didn't believe it. They're every bit as lovely as they are by text and Zoom and email. What a weekend we had. It was so much fun. And I got to meet so many listeners. And again, so much fun, so appreciative. I feel truly blessed to be here and to have you listening. And I can promise you, we have such a wonderful team behind us. Today, we have Kathy Jameson, who has been researching a tricky thing and a thing that I've never looked into because I never understood it which is how we self-report or the doctors, nurses report adverse effects from medicines, but in particular the COVID jab and what we can learn from it and how it's been handled and a great many questions that arise from that. It is very interesting and a little scary. And a little, well, maybe not so surprising that our government and our journalists and the authorities aren't making the sort of inquiries that should be made. And it's left to Kathy and others and left to Reality Check Radio to make public. Grab a cup of coffee, get driving, get knitting, get working, whatever it is you're doing. You're in for a treat. You're on Rally Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Please send me a text. Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what you think of the show. Tell me what you think of what we're learning from Kathy. 2057. Send me an email, inbox at Rally Check Radio. Thank you kindly for being here today. What I want to achieve with RCR is conversation. And I think we have lost the art of conversation. With RCR, I just hope that people can learn that we can all be different, we can have our own opinions, have our own views, and have those conversations in a respectful way. Because respect needs to be given, it needs to be earned, and I think that we can prove that people of all diverse perspectives, ages, opinions, can have a platform, and we can work and talk together. And so that's what I hope we get to achieve with RCR. Just independent thought alternative thought and I I expect that I will be castigated by many people for offering different opinions but you know as I've said before there is no such thing as a wrong opinion opinions are like noses everybody's got one the exchange of views fair debate no cancelling no interrupting no aggressive responses we want to hear what people have to say Whatever side you're on, and the listener, the consumer, with that information, can make of it what they will. That is the mission. It's a good mission. 
Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057, that's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so get in touch with us now. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're with Reality Check Radio. It's uh, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Oh, oh, send me a text. And you're going to want to send me a text after this next interview. 2057, send a text or send me an email, inbox at realitycheck.radio. I'd get you to... Send me a letter and put it in the post box, but I don't have one. I don't even know how letters work anymore. So it's texts and emails. And I love this next guest, and you're going to love her too. And she's covering an area that has bewildered me, and I just have given up. And that's all this veers and calm and those databases that report adverse events, and we're going to understand a bit of that, and we're going to have a lovely, lovely conversation with Kathy Jameson. Good morning. Good morning, Rodney. Oh, you're so sweet. We, i got to say, we talked a little bit off air, and uh, I've just been telling Kathy she's the spitting image of my mother and looks and personality from 40 years ago, and so we're getting on like a house on fire. So I hope it doesn't overwhelm the interview. But <laughs> tell me this. Yes. How did you get into all this research that you've done? Because you've sent a little bit through to me. And oh my goodness, it is amazing. And I can't even say I fully grasp it. That's why I had to get you on. But how did you get into doing this intricate? research and finding out all the stuff um well uh, by by sort of accident i guess because i mean if we all cast our mind back to sort of january 2020 we kind of knew something really big was coming mm-hmm. didn't we we didn't quite we did. know what but um and so i you know, I've always kind of come out to meet things, I suppose. And so I got really into learning about the disease and the the developing treatments for the disease. And I, I followed that vitamin D, ivermectin, zinc, quercetin kind of protocol. And Did the you pe- do your own research? Mm, bad, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Did on, you? The, on the interweb. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Oh yeah. my God! Yeah. No wonder you're down a hole. Anyway, yeah. so um, you you got into this, and is that typical of you? Are you sort of a sort of person? You said you like to meet things head on. Is it also typical of you that you get your teeth into things? Because you really, I, I do, teeth. I do. You really my, sunk your teeth into this puppy. Yeah, I, I do get my teeth into things, particularly if. I you get a sense sometimes, hey? Mm. You get a sense. I've never, I've never sort of 
got my teeth into anything like this before in terms of medical things. That I just always kind of accepted. But other mm. things, yes. Yeah. So back in the beginning of 2020, you're feeling a sense of unease, a sense of foreboding, like many of us, felt something big was happening, had questions, started to go onto that, we jokingly call it the interweb, to do your own research. <laughs> and then what? Well, so I, I kind of, you know, there was there was no talk in New Zealand of all those sort of therapeutics and nutraceuticals. And I just thought, oh, well, it will come. You know, it'll. they're just kind of looking at it and it will come. And it it didn't come. And and that was kind of my first, like, what's what's going on? And and then, you know, the, the vaccine started getting developed and we were hearing about that. And there was something in that messaging that also made me feel uneasy and made me ask questions. What was it? Can you put well, your finger it was on it? The, the, an example of it was this talk of, you know, before the rollout even started, before the approvals had happened and before any vaccine arrived on these shores, there was just this really strong messaging about the offer of a vaccine. Yes, because it was like off. we will lock down until the vaccine arrives, wasn't it? And yet you thought, yeah. how do you know a vaccine's going to arrive? They don't just magic up. Yeah, or how, I, I wasn't sort of thinking that. I was thinking so much, well, not everyone's going to have it. No. <laughs> so so this, this sort of offer of a vaccine was being said with this sort of assumption behind it that everyone was going to have it. And mm. so that was kind of what bothered me. And I, I sort of, there was this disconnect between the language and the demeanour, I guess, that mm. made me uneasy. Well, I was at different times also uneasy about the certitude because every step that was taken, and you sort of get this because you can imagine being in a war you can't sort of hesitate and say, mm, I wonder if running over the top is the best idea. No, just go and do it and don't question it. But we had the same thing with this. It was like lockdown, don't question it. And if you had a question, you were an enemy of the state. You know, you were an enemy of the people. And I didn't understand, given that we were clearly in a novel area of policy, you know, locking people down, mandating people, every step, masking people, socially distanced people, all this was extremely novel, but it couldn't be questioned. Mm. Mm. Did you ever follow Plan B? And oh, I love Plan B. Mm. Well, did you watch their symposium that they yes, did? They I did, did. too, and I only ever watched the second one. And... um you know, I think about this a lot in the context of, you know, employers now saying, oh, well, we had to follow the government because we couldn't do, you know, anything else because we just had to trust what they were saying. Um, because Plan B, the $15 a ticket, and it's actually still up to watch now for nothing, did this amazing symposium in I think it was February of 2021, and they had Byron Bridal and um, did they have 
not Jay the back of but I, I think they had his the woman. Uh, that, yes, Sunitra Yes, yes. And so so they had this sort of star-studded cast and and then Simon Thornley, of course, and then another gentleman from Auckland University um, yes. who does a really sort of interesting um, line of study, and he's actually written a book called Nudged into Lockdown. And all these people have got really, really sort of interesting things to say. Um, so so there was that. And I also, once the vaccine became sort of looming on the horizon, I thought, right, I'm going to watch these Verbat committee meetings. Because Gosh, what's that? I've never Well, that's that. the Vaccine and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee of the FDA. So that's America. Yeah. So that's where, when this thing got emergency use authorization in yes. December of 2020, the Verbat committee hears, like, hears from Pfizer and they decide whether they're going wow. to approve or not. And so I've always, and look, you can say what you like about the US, but my goodness, you know, you can watch those meetings, you can you can speak at them for three minutes. I think probably even I could if I wanted to. And and all their videos of those meetings and all the materials that get submitted to those meetings, anyone can read. So you, sitting at home in New Zealand, may I ask, Mm. because I'm only interested in the argument, but it's just of interest. Do you have a research background? No, I do have a very dusty old mathematics degree. Ah, so I've so kind that... of got and 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 the other thing that I that I find fascinating in terms of where I've ended up with this is when I look back at um because I you know I I pretty much took 20 years out to raise children. Um but when I was working, where I would end up would be where words and numbers collide. Yes. So numbers don't scare you? No. No. So um, that's perfect because that just explains that because um, I was looking at your work and thinking this is a numbers lady, um, which I'm a numbers person, not as good as you, I have to say, and I don't have your level of commitment. So you were sitting at home. Watching, what were they again? The verb. Well, uh, this is how I say it in my head. I don't know how you say it. I've never heard it said actually by anyone. But I say verbac. It's so vaccine and related biological products advisory committee. And you were watching that committee have hearings from people about the vaccine at the end of 2020. Yes, I would suspect you're the only person in New Zealand doing that. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm the only person that isn't paid to do it. Yes. But. So <laughs> you weren't watching this, and did you find it interesting? Well, I found it. What I, So this was another like, huh? Because, I mean, when you look at the analysis that, you know, Pfizer did in their Phase 2 clinical study, um, I was like, I... It, they they got to 170 cases, confirmed cases of COVID amongst the vaccinated and the unvaccinated arm. 
And that seemed to be some, I don't know if that is a number that's commonly accepted to move to the next phase of the study. I don't know. But, and there was a few sigmas and a few sort of confidence intervals scattered around in the analysis. But when you boil it down, this you've probably heard this before, but this 95% effective was based on primary school mathematics. 162 people in the uh, the unvaccinated arm of the 170 got COVID and eight in the vaccinated arm got COVID. So you add those two numbers together, you get 170. So if you get your calculator out and go 162 divided by 170, you get 95%. And I just looked at that and I thought, they're going to make billions of doses of this stuff and market it based on that level of primary school mathematics. That, that can't be wrong. That, no, <laughs> no. And so I, I guess, you know, at every point I sort of ask myself, am I prepared to, to hand over our healthcare decisions with this to the public health authorities? And at every point where I thought that, I just thought, no, I'm not. So I'll and keep of course, going. the significance of that also, just explain to me the significance of why you'd go, well, hang on. They had that many times more people get COVID that weren't vaccinated compared to those that were. And that to most people, including our prime minister and government, and governments all around the world and medical authorities all around the world was utterly convincing because we heard that 95% figure Mm. endlessly. But you shake your head and say, what? Explain to me why you would say, what? Yeah, well, you're a very good interviewer because the answer to that question um, is on page 42 they, of the document that they submitted, they had this tiny little paragraph and it said, so those 170 had all had COVID tests to determine, like PCR tests to determine whether they had COVID. So on page 42, they had this tiny little paragraph that said, you know, 3,400 other participants in the study also clinically looked to have symptoms of COVID but were not tested. And what? when they and, <laughs> and when they when they divided up those people into the vaccinated arm and the unvaccinated arm, if they'd done the same and and I'm I'm um I didn't do this myself, Byron Bridal said this at the COVID plan B plan B symposium. If they'd done the same analysis on those people then the vaccine would have shown to be somewhere between 19 and 29% effective. Oh, my goodness. And they needed it to be 50% effective to get emergency use authorization. And there's also some funny other stuff. So, so, So when they did the testing and the analysis, what you've just explained to me is just please pull me up because... Um, I'm trying to understand this, and the reason I can make quite a good interview is I'm stupider than the average listener, and so I can 
they can they can follow me. Um, so they had a whole lot of people in these controls who were sick, but they didn't test for COVID. Correct, and they don't explain why. They just on page on page <laughs> yeah, four. I, I'm just struggling with it. You're doing this control. Here are all these people sick with COVID-like symptoms, but we'll test these ones over here. Yeah, but like from like to be honest, from Pfizer's perspective, they're a pharmaceutical sales company. Yes, you know they've told them that that happened, and they're trying to sell their drug. I'm not defending them. No. In any way, shape, or form. But they've they've said it. It's the job of the regulator to read the documents yes. and notice and ask the questions. I heard a great line through all of this from someone who I can't recall where, because you know how we're all over the interweb doing our own research. And it was a line that stayed with me, where it said that the pharmaceutical industry, their Marketing research and psychology is 20 years ahead <laughs> of their actual medical research. And as you say, they're extremely good at the marketing and the psychology of marketing and possibly a little corruption, as we've seen. But their medical research, mm, primary school. Yeah. And well, what you're saying is, you were sitting at home in New Zealand, and I'm not being derogatory, but it's just a great statement. Mother, wife, housewife, saying, dusty old maths degree, saying, that doesn't make sense. Mm. And we can, in a way, forgive Pfizer because they've got billions of dollars in front of their eyes. But the regulators? Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'd go as far as saying I forgive Pfizer, but what okay. I'm saying is if you actually look at, you know, a sale, you know, they're a pharmaceutical sales company. They're using every tool they've got to sell their um their pharmaceutical product. So, so um, just just let me get this really clear. The ninety five percent figure was done on a subset of everyone that was in the trial who were tested, and they didn't even test all those in the trial that were sick with COVID like symptoms. That's what page forty two says, and without explanation for why that was done. Correct. And even that is odd because this is the difference, and you can maybe help me with this, between absolute and relative risk. Because no, I can't. I can. I can. I can. I can do this because (laughs) you're saying of all those that got sick, 5% of them were the vaccinated ones, and 95% were unvaccinated. However, there were some thousands in the trial, and if you looked at your 
one or the other risks. Your risk of getting COVID is quite small, right? And therefore, your risk of getting COVID might have gone from, I'm just making this number up now, 1% to half a percent, if you follow me. So um, that doesn't matter. I'm confusing even myself. But I get that. I, I get that all now. So you saw this. Then what? Well, so then, then what? Um, so then, I, 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 I just sort of kept reading things, um, like, well, this, I can't find it now, but I remember reading somewhere in one journal or other because I read lots of medical journals and I watched really, yep, a lots. I watched. Oh, the is the national surveillance data from Israel that was really interesting. And I, so what, and you know how Israel went first. Yes. So, so what they did was they took a snapshot of, um, I think it was 6 million, 6.4 million people. Um, I really should have looked at this before I came on, but, but, oh, so I'll speak at a really high level. So it, it cut off about the 2nd of April, 2021. So I can't remember when it was published. But when it was published and you read the article, um, there was something wrong with that too. Like, so they used this definition of vaccinated and unvaccinated. Is it the time? Yes, with the timing. Mm. So they, so they, and they came out with this ninety-five percent effective conclusion when they looked at the Israeli data again. But one hundred and one thousand one hundred and thirteen people died of COVID in the time of the study. But when you sort of looked at the numbers that they had used in the study arms for vaccinated and unvaccinated, the number that died didn't add up to one hundred and thirteen. Sorry, 1,113. Mm. So I kept reading and reading and reading and looking over and over and over, and I figured out that 23%, I'm just doing this from memory, of the study participants have di- had died of COVID within two weeks of having a COVID vaccine. Mm. And but because of the definition of um or they died testing positive for COVID, I should say. I'll say it like that. Yes. Within two weeks of having a COVID. And they were declared to be unvaccinated. And be, well, no, they didn't even include them in the definition of unvaccinated. They just ignored them. Oh, is that what happened? So oh. if you were unvaccinated, you'd had no shots at all. Okay. And if you were vaccinated, then you were 14 days out or seven days out, I can't remember, from your second shot. Got it. And then they had a category which they called partially vaccinated and they did all their mathematical stuff and they came out with, yes, you know, the Israeli national surveillance data says that the vaccine's 95% effective, but they just ignored all of these. So you're sitting they're working all this out, reading this, and then you're watching New Zealand authorities and authorities all around the world, because clearly you're across it on the interweb, 
<laughs> and you're watching all the politicians mm. say how wonderful it all is and it's 95% and it's safe and effective. Mm. And you're realising that it's based on spurious analysis. Mm. How did mm. that make you feel? Um, oh, interesting question. It made me feel really scared. Because for the first time in my life, I mean, we all sort of go, oh, you know, I'm for National or I'm for Labour or I'm for this or I'm for that. But at the end of the day, you really feel confident in a basic level of government. Yeah. You know? And it made me feel really scared because I'm thought this isn't this isn't the sort of society that I thought I lived in. Mm. Um, it's very, it's very, very disorienting. Mm. The f- first time that happens um, to someone, and I had it happen in my life quite early because I watched a policeman lie against mm. my dear father, who was on a. Um, it's a small thing. My father was a professional truck driver and he only ever had one accident and it wasn't his fault. And he came home and I was like 12 and we had a camera that would come out once in a blue moon. It didn't even come out every Christmas, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and yet you'd have a film developed after about three years. <laughs> he says, grab the camera. And I thought, cheapers, this is serious. And we jumped in the car and he took pictures of his truck front bumper bar and he took pictures of the skid marks on the road. And I was a bit astonished by this. And I said, why are we doing all this? And he said, because I don't trust the cops. <laughs> and I thought, what? <laughs> and we were in a small town, right? And like mm. six months later, he's on a charge of dangerous driving. And his trucking company luckily had paid for a lawyer. And my dad had all these pictures. And the sergeant got up, who we knew, and told complete fibs about where the truck was, about where it hit the car, about what had happened, and was consulting his diary like he'd taken notes and he was just telling untruths. I wouldn't, I don't know why to this day. And my dad's lawyer got up and said, well, here, Mr. Hyde's pictures. And the judge ripped the policeman to bits for lying. And my father was away. And it's it etched in my mind that a, a, a policeman would lie to fit up an innocent man. My father would have lost his livelihood. He, he drove, mm. he was a truck driver his entire life. And of course, I got into the environmental movement and I realized they were liars. Mm. And then I went into Parliament, which didn't yeah. help <laughs> my attitude towards authority, right? So I had sort of peered over that cliff. Yeah. Yeah. And knew to question. But like you, 
I thought I was skeptical, cynical. When this COVID thing happened, that was just a whole nother level. Mm. And I felt just like you. Even then, after my whole life not trusting authority, I was devastated and flabbergasted by it. Mm. And even my dear old party, the act party, just fell into line. And mm. I'll never forgive them. So it's a strange thing because I know what it's like the first time you peer over and you realize because we live our lives following the rules and thinking that, yeah, I didn't vote for that party in power, but, you know, they're doing their best um, with the best interests of New Zealand and us, they might be wrong on a few things, but they mean well. But you peer over the edge and nothing's quite the same. Mm, so not. that's you had. So I'm sorry to do that diversion, but I know exactly what you mean. And you had it full bore. And mm. I thought I was cynical and skeptical, and it still blew me away, and I haven't recovered. So please, I interrupted you. Carry on. What well, next? Really you realized that they were doing, you realized from the Israeli study, that data was being used spuriously, and then all the authorities around the world were speaking so confidently when the data said no such thing. Mm. So then I guess I had a few months of, you know, conversations with the people around me, and, you know, I have got a bit of a reputation for getting the bit between my teeth with things and you know I'm a one issue person and when something like this comes along um it's all I really want to talk about because you know to me it was the defining issue of our time and this and is then, your this is your quip that you're great fun at parties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I don't <laughs> so so and then I so I, I guess over the term of those few months you you get that sort of pushback from people when you say but no but look at this and and yeah and I found myself saying no but I I used discerning use of the internet because you get that disparaging sort of yeah. oh you've looked on the internet and you know all those cartoons that go around about mm. you know people who are looking on the internet no more than the doctors and scientists and things mm. and and so that I had some sort of an unsuccessful time there. And then I just, so then I thought, well, you know what? There's there's people more learned than me. I'm going to stop reading the studies. I'm going to stop doing that because I've done enough now to convince myself that um, this is not something that I want to have. Um, so I'm going to start looking a little bit closer to home. And so I thought I'll leave all the looking at the studies and things to the people that really know what they're doing. And I just spent a couple of months scanning through all of the OIAs that had been done in New Zealand um, and like looking at the That's the gathering of official information. Yeah. By citizens. Yeah. So, yeah. Every, so, that, so people if they do those, they often do them through that site FYI or they yeah. host them on FYI. So I just read 
a lot of what was on there and there's a lot of minutes of all the scientific advisory groups. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I sort of learned about, you know, MedSafe for every medicine they approve has a data sheet. And so I read the data sheet. Pfizer as part of the um, approval process had to submit a risk management plan. So I just read all that and it didn't improve the picture that I had of this disconnect between what was actually happening on a regulatory and advisory level and what we were getting at the sort of advertising agency level, which is what I sort of called Unite Against COVID-19. It was an ad campaign. And... Just uh, let me understand that. So when you actually read what was written... I imagine what was written and made public was a little cautious and a little more circumspect. And then when it came to the advertising campaign, it was simplistic and certain. But that simplicity and certitude wasn't supported by the underlying documents. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for for example, I mean, MedSafe, you know, we hear, you, you know, and MedSafe don't approve things until they're satisfied they're safe. You know, we hear that yes. from, from a lot of people. Now, MedSafe's definition of safety is, is a really interesting one to sort of understand, um, as I understand it, um, and look, you know, with anything here, I don't profess to be the expert. So if I say anything wrong, people should correct me. Um, but their def like so so if MedSafe can say a COVID nineteen vaccine is safe, it may give you myocarditis and you may even die. But if your chances of getting a a, a an adverse event from the disease itself yes. are higher, then by their own definition, they can say it's safe. Doesn't necessarily wow. mean it's riskless, but they can say it's safe because their definition is based on a risk-benefit analysis. Which is not how the word safe presents itself in your head. No, and it gets worse because through the OIA process, there was a risk-benefit analysis done um, prior to the vaccine rollout, and that came out unclear at the time um, because there was so little information available. So an OIA from August of 2022 um, tells us that no risk-benefit analysis has been done by no New Zealand agency on the vaccine until that time. Ooh. So I thought, well, how then, if they haven't done a risk-benefit analysis, could MedSafe, by their own definition, say it was safe? But I'm not utterly sure that they have been saying that. <laughs> Maybe other people have been saying that. I've been looking for an I'm, I'm letting that hang for a little while. So in your researches, you 
you're uncertain with a MedSafe, and safe is in their title, MedSafe, mm. medical safety, you can't, you're not certain they ever said this was safe, which their well, idea of safety is a risk-benefit. Well, once I sort of put those things together, that their, what their definition of safety was based on a risk-benefit analysis, and there had been no risk-benefit analysis done by any New Zealand agency um, at that date of that I saw that OIA come out in August 2022, other than one that was done in the early days that was deemed unclear, then I did I'd spent a bit of time looking for some thing that came out of MedSafe that did say it was safe and I didn't find it. And then I probably just sort of something else became a priority and I moved on. So as far as you're aware, and you haven't come across it. I'm talking to Kathy Jameson. On Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, look, we may be misinformed and we may be missing something. So if we are, we will correct ourselves uh, because Kathy and I are very interested in discussion and debate and learning. So text us at 2057 or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. We're back on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, and I'm here with my guest, Kathy Jamieson. And Kathy, where would you like to take things next? Mm, well, because you had a guest on, or Paul did. Oh, Mr. Seymour. A week or two ago. Mm. And he made a statement about New Zealand having a sort of a negative excess mortality over the term of the pandemic, which is means that less people have died in New Zealand over the term of the pandemic than you would expect in normal times. Mm-hmm. Right. So what what is needed to be understood? And um an ex-colleague of yours, I believe, John Gibson, has helped me yes. with this. John Gibson so, has done great work. Yeah, I I sort of got onto Our World and Data, and Our World and Data is a really, really good tool. You know, it's very easy to use. And um, excess mortality, uh, there's two baselines. So if you want to know if you've got excess, you need to have a baseline to work from. Yep. Yeah? So there's two baselines that, you can choose from when you go into our world and data. And one is an average, um, uses the average of um, the deaths from 2015 through to 2019. Yeah. Just a straight average. Now, the other one is a, is, a, is a regression model that allows for population growth. Yep. So if if you've got a higher population, you're going to have more deaths, right? Yep. So if you if you use your just average over previous years and you've had a an increase in population, then that's going you're going to have more deaths. So it's yes. going to look like your excess mortality is higher. Yes, got it. So the, with the regression model, um that gives you a lower excess mortality because they've taken account of population growth. Got it. Yeah? Yep. So when Mr. Seymour says that there's been um, no excess deaths, I checked that. I downloaded all the data out of it and 
I got rid of all the other countries and I averaged out New Zealand. And it was over the term of the pandemic, according to our world data, it was like an excess death over that whole time of like 0.0004%. So nearly zero, right? And I've been monitoring it for quite a while because the public health authorities have been saying that for quite a while. And I kept thinking, surely that can't be right. And then when you use that baseline, yep, what they're saying is right when you use that baseline. But what John Gibson is saying is um, in March of 2020, when uh, prior to that, we'd had uh, a a reliable and significant population growth year on year on year up till then. But in March of 2020, when we shut our borders, that came to an abrupt halt. No more immigration. Yeah, and no more population growth. Mm. So um, if you continue to use that regression model that assumes the population growth, then your baseline is going to be higher and your Mm -hmm. excess deaths then are going to be smaller. Mm -hmm. So what he can do with his skills is account for that and when he accounts for that, he says that there has been 4%, cumulative 4% excess mortality over the time of the pandemic. So I, I read his paper and I and has I really um encourage people to read his his material because um he whilst he is very clever and he's an academic, the, the what he writes, like the actual text that he writes, is very mm. easily understood. And in fact, that particular one, you can grab the point by looking at one graph. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. the idea, he's a he's an economist at Waikato University, and if you Google his name, this report pops up. And essentially what it is is that um, the population was growing steadily, um, and when immigration stopped, the population stalled, but the regression model assumes that it continues to grow. And so the baseline has a larger population than we actually had. And so the excess deaths are hidden. But if you use the actual population, the excess deaths pop up at 4%. And what's the significance of these excess deaths? Well, I I, I thought about, I read his paper and I thought about it for a while and then I thought, no, I can't do it by myself. So I asked him and um, so so I said, what does that actually mean in terms of excess deaths, actual excess deaths? And he, because you hear, you know, you see people posting numbers on the interweb all the time. And um, so... He said, well, over the term of the pandemic, I think he said it was about 3,600 excess deaths, which worked out to about three excess deaths a day over the term of the pandemic. But he also then said, but the, but the excess mortality didn't actually start until November of 2021. So if you average it out per day since then, it's nine extra people per day since then. And, of course, they weren't dying when we were running around scared of COVID. 
the excess deaths started with the vaccine rollout. Well, according to John, they didn't really start until November of 2021. And you might recall what happened in November of 2021. It was the booster introduction. Ah, the booster did it. Well, we don't know. No, there's a correlation. We can't say. We We can only say the excess death started in November of 2021 and um, New Zealanders started getting boosters in November of 2021. That's all we can say at this point. And no one is interested in it, apart from us. Like the authorities don't look at the excess deaths and say, well, gee whiz, this is something we need to look at. Well, they, they might be, but they're not sharing any concerns that they have with the New Zealand public, if they and, are. And Mr Seymour is going saying there are none. Yeah, so what Mr Seymour, let's hope Mr Seymour listens to that particular part and mm. takes the time to understand it. Nine deaths a day. Excess deaths a day. Nine extra deaths. Now, have you... On, a, on average, on average. On average, yes. If, have we... Is that dropping off now? Do we know? Or is it staying about the same? Or what's happening to excess deaths? That might be a question for somebody more learned than me that you may or may not have worked with in the past. Yes. No, well, I'm <laughs> trying to get John on, but he's had some, his wife's been ill. Yeah. Um, but he is a wonderful, yes, and he and I were economists together long ago. Mm. Uh, he was a good one. And then there was me. Um, he's an excellent, excellent analyst and he's fearless because he goes where the data goes mm. Mm. um question there's a question on the excess desk now i want to get into if i may pause for the name kathy <laughs> um i want to get into it's real talk with rodney hyde where was kathy jameson uh flick us a text 2057 or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio You've also done work on the adverse effects reporting, correct? Yeah, yeah. Is that able to be explained to me? Yeah, I can. I can give it a red hot go. Um, so MedSafe uh, issue reports their safety yeah. reports, and they. They have had a special reporting system for the COVID-19 products, vaccines, Mm -hmm. and um, they're they're found on their their website. Um, And they started off doing them sort of weekly and and they added sort of material to them over time in terms of, you know, features that the reports had. And... um, then the sort of the interval got larger and larger and larger and that they weren't weekly then, they were fortnightly and then they may have been monthly, I, I can't recall. But it got to the point where they the last few we got, I think, were sort of two or three months apart. For no reason? Well, no, no, no communicated reason. Mm-hmm. And the last one that was published was, um, sort of mid-December of last year until recently, the last in the old format. 
that was published was mid-November of last year. And um, so that that was sort of a problem in itself, really. Um, well, it's very odd to go from weekly reports to monthly reports to, oh, we're changing the format. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, so until sort of, so in April, I was like, well, when are we going to get another report? Because usually they would have in the table um, where they had all the old ones that you could look at, they'd have when the next one was scheduled to be released and there wasn't anything. Um, What were these reports up until November last year telling us? And how... Uh, what 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 could we conclude safely from those reports up to November? Right. Well, so if we we talk about Report Forty Six, which was the one that came out at the end of November of oh, sorry the mid December of last year, um, it was saying there had been sixty four thousand eight hundred and fifteen reports made, mm-hmm. and and a report is. You know, nobody's saying that just because somebody makes a report that the vaccine has caused it. It's just yep. basically a report of something that's happened yep. following a medicine. Yeah. And who makes that report? Uh, well, anybody can make it. Um, and there's been studies internationally. There's a chap called Scott McLaughlin that I um, had a couple of Zoom calls with who has done one, he's he's based in London, and he actually did a study on VIRS because one of the criticisms of VIRS is that anyone can make a report. Mm -hmm. So he, one of the um, sort of focuses of a study that he released last year was that, um, you know, who's making the report? How reliable Mm -hmm. are the reports? And they concluded that, you know, a, a significant portion of them are being made by a clinician. They can be considered reliable, and and VIRS also has a whole lot of sort of legislation around it, protecting it from mischief. Because um, you know, you it's a it's an offence to make a false report. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never really thought about it in the context of New Zealand before. I said that just now, so I don't know whether we have the same. The same thing. We do have rules about what's considered a valid report. Yeah. And to 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 be a valid. So as I understand it, MedSafe can't rem, or calm or whoever's actually doing this, they can't remove a report. They can't yeah. delete it. Yeah. But they can make it invalid, which means it can't be seen by the public. Okay. So for a report to be valid, the reporter needs to have given like their details yeah so they can be contacted that you have to have said what's happened to you what medicine you're yep. reporting in regards to and you you need to be able to give some identifying um characteristics for the person that it's happened to like um sex and age so uh, so you know if something happened to my mother or my child i could report it yeah um the doctor who treated them might also report it. The vaccinator, if, you know, if somebody hit the deck and, you know, went into anaphylactic shock. Um, but it's a great system in a way because it sends it, it's a signal. If there's an issue, yes, it can yes. be picked up because yeah. there'll yeah. be patterns. Um, 
And it's like um, telling you as a regulator or as a medical professional what to be looking for and to have your eye out. And if you saw 10,000 cases of X after medicine Y, you'd say, gee, we better look into this. And if you didn't have that reporting system, you'd have no way of knowing. <clears throat> Excuse me, that, that's exactly right. I mean, because, um, you know, after vaccination, life goes on. Yes. And, you know, there are many other variables that could contribute to yes. a birth event. So um, this was going on. And what could we conclude? Because I've also heard, and, you know, when I say heard, I've read on the interweb, and mm. my probably on my Twitter and the tweet that when they've looked at it, they find these self-reporting systems wildly under-reporting adverse effects because people can be adversely affected and don't know that they could report it. Mm. Mm. That's right. And and studies show, I think, that you know it's usually between one and ten percent underreported yeah I mean I would um I would say and I've heard I've heard somebody else who's you know very um you know spends a lot of time in this stuff that probably a higher a higher um bound the higher number is probably closer to the truth for this because people are aware that this yes. is a controversial product and they yes. are aware of a to a point of its sort of and you know novel novelty. Yeah. Um so going back to December, first of all, then I'll bring you forward. Going back to December, 64,000 plus adverse effects, some of them mild, some of them devastating. Uh what was your takeaway from that report? Well, I might have to sort of, so in that report, there were 64,815-ish, uh, you know, reports, but there were 3,688 serious ones, yeah. okay, that were included. Now, the, at the bottom, if, you, if you're looking at the report at a high level where it's sort of telling you all these different things, if you scroll right down to the bottom and you click on this link that says um, AE, uh, line listing, then you can see this enormous Excel file that gives you this thing called an assessment number, an AEFI number, um, which is the number that MedSafe gives the report when they've done their assessment on it. Right. And, okay. then, and then for that assessment number, the symptoms that were reported, the decade of life that the person was in, their sex, um and a date, and I've never really got to the bottom of what that date is, whether it's the date that was reported or the date that the assessment was done or what, but anyway. Now, so I'm in a bit of a unique position because at some point last year, I stumbled upon a New Zealander in Veers, and I was like, what? What's Veers? Oh, sorry, Veers is is the um, adverse reporting system in the US. Okay. So the same calm, medicine, you know, the, yep. what, what we have here, it's the US equivalent. And I was like, what? Is this a New Zealander um, 
living in the US? Who are they? What's happening? (laughs) So I sort of looked into that and then discovered that there were about three and a half thousand entries for New Zealanders in VIAs. And when I started telling people that I knew that I thought might know why they were there, they'd just say to me, why are they there? And I haven't been able to sort of find anyone that can tell me why they're there. But what what they but I have I have sort of formed a bit of an a theory myself. But what that so these are people that are living in New Zealand, like I can recognize from the reports some more of the high profile ones. Yeah, because they've been in the paper, say. Yeah, yeah. And um and it gives you more detail than MedSafe. Wow. Has. So it gives you um their age, you know, their age, their sex, the date they were injected, the date, and then it, it sort of tells you you get the full report of what the person has said when they've emailed or when they've phoned or whatever they've done. So you sort of understand when their symptoms first started, what they you know what they might have experienced, and 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 when the major event happened, if a major event did happen. So it's a lot um, richer, richer than what we get. So, yeah, what we're picking up here is yes, we've got the New Zealand reports, but three and a half thousand New Zealand reports are found in the American adverse reporting system. And in the American adverse reporting system, there's more detail um, about the case in terms of when its symptoms developed, et cetera, et cetera. And you were able to identify these three and a half thousand people in the American database because what, they had a similar ID? How were you able to make the link? Uh Two ways. Um, there's this field called CDC split type. Yeah. And so that has this code NZ Pfizer. Got it. And also in the report, the text itself, they'll have this AEFIA number. Right. This need safe assessment. Yeah, the you're the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> I would love to meet you at a party because I'd be sitting, <laughs> you'd be having your Bacardi and Coke. And I'd be having an orange juice, sick of it, and we would be nattering away in the corner, and I'd be at the best party of my entire life talking this stuff. Because normally I'd go to a party and I wouldn't know what to talk about, but I'd just sit there uh, interrogating you because this is an amazing story. It's an astonishing story. So carry on. You found that, then what? Did you stop? No. Um, well, so then it was, well, the, so then I sort of had a bit of a unique window into looking at the reports and comparing to what MedSafe was reporting and some other things became apparent, which are yet to be explained. To be fair, I don't know if anyone's asked them yet. I haven't. Um, but 
up until sort of January of 2022. So, so if if you have a um, a symptom, when MedSafe do their assessment, they have to, or someone. I, I, to be honest, I'm not clear on what the CALM and MedSafe demarcation is. So I use those. I tend to use those terms rather interchangeably, and I may not always be right. But when this assessment happens, um, your 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 symptoms are given a code. So they they have to be coded to these sort of seven hundred and fifty odd specific symptoms. So like if if you have a vaccine and then maybe three weeks later something happens and you you're unable to walk, your code is gait disturbance. So there's a certain sort of structure around yeah. how these things can be reported. I got it. And now, and, and is that given a number? Yeah, yeah. So yes. it's a word and then a number. So Got gate it. disturbance and then a number. Yeah. Uh, and that's how it will look in the line listing too. And okay. that's found in the MedSafe reporting or the VIA's reporting? No, that's in the I'm talking about MedSafe now. Yes. When you, you go and you look at one of these reports. So let's yeah. say I go into report 46, I go to the bottom, I look in the line listing and I click yeah. on that and I'll get an Excel file Got come it. up. And this is where I'll see all of this. Got it. So, so I noticed that in between report 39 and 40, which was around sort of January, February of 2022, there had been a code for sudden death. And there were 33 sudden deaths reported in the or in the line listing for in report 39. When report 40 came out, those that that reference to sudden death um, was gone. And so, like, for example, I've got one here. Um, so, so one person, their code was sudden death and then the number in report 39. And in report 40, they reported as a myocardial, myocardial infarction and another number. So they were recoded. They recoded, yeah. Well, sort of death is unmistakable. Yeah, but the, that that code was was they stopped using that code. Did they retrospectively change? Well, what happens is um, when they do a new report, the line listing is overwritten. Got it. So when you go back to say if I if the report forty six is issued then if I went back to report 39 and I went down to the bottom of report 39 and clicked on it I'd see the um line listing for report 46 wow. but some people <laughs> had been keeping copies of them as they went along some people were clever yeah Yep. So, am I understanding you correctly that in January, oh, no, I've got my dates wrong, but basically we had 33 adverse effects reported in these report systems, sudden death. And then Sam, who was a sudden death, then was recorded not as a sudden death, but as myocarditis. Or, or 
I'll read down them. Cardiac arrest, pneumonia. Um, and the death bit was dropped off. Yeah. Dropped off or replaced, depending on. So they come alive? No, they just, they had. <laughs> I've got a big um, sarcastic, yeah. sorry. Um, <laughs> but wait, that, that, makes, that makes you feel a little queasy. Well, it. Uh, 33 of them, they were recut, they, they were, so um, if I use the word deleted, I shouldn't. Okay. All I can say is what is public facing and, and what is not. Yes. But, so those 33 were recoded, but only 22 went back in in terms of being public facing. There are still 11 that didn't show up under that same assessment number. Now, it may well be that those assessment numbers were duplicate reports and that that's why they didn't go back in. But that I haven't had an answer to that question yet. I haven't asked it either, to be clear. But that's something that if you did, you would have a wee footnote explaining um, that's not really how, that's okay. not the level of detail that's sort of provided. I mean, they they, they say, you know, they, they actually give criteria for what can make a report invalid. Okay. And, and, and it's, to be valid, it has to have one patient identifier, which is i.e. name, initials. But it was valid at one point and then, Subsequently, if that was the case, they had to make it invalid. Well, the, it, it, it may have had a duplicate somewhere Got in it. the system. Okay. Okay. And so perhaps that's why. But as far as I can see, when I look at the way, the reasons that you can make something invalid, the fact they would have to have been duplicates Got it. because they satisfy I can look in VIAs I see. see what's in VIAs and see that they satisfy all the other criteria. I see, because they're still in VIAs. Yes. So we can't necessarily think the worst, but there's a question there about what's happened to the database, to the data. Yeah, there is a question. So... So fast forward now to April, mid-April. Then the reporting stopped because they were oh, the, doing yeah, the weekly reports, monthly reports, and then yeah. that. And then the reporting changed its format. Well, we won't. Can, can we just hold fire? Yes, please. Because so, so then, so I was sort of monitoring theirs, and something happened at the end of October that didn't get that got put into VIAs but wasn't captured by that last report 46 because it takes a bit of time mm -hmm. for reporting and processing. Um, but there was a a woman in New Zealand, according to the VIAs reports, that received a multivalent Pfizer product on the 30th of October. 2022 
And she went in, and I don't know what that multivalent product is. All I know is that that's what was written in Olivia's report. Now, she went into a coma, according to her report, within the hour and died four days later. Now, she, her reports and VIAs, it was never captured in Report 46. Um, so when this, I, I've been looking for it, um, you know, that's why I've sort of been, or one of the things I've been looking for. So there's that. But the other thing is somebody did an OIA on that was answered on the 12th of April of this year. And... <sighs> So there's this number of criteria that have to, that that constitute a serious adverse event. Mm -hmm. So if you remember, I would have said that I, I said that in this report forty six, they Medsafe was saying there were three thousand six hundred eighty eight serious adverse events in the in the last report they made. So in this OIA, it's this it's the criteria that there's a table. And the table says how many people got the Pfizer vaccine that had a medically significant event, were hospitalised, have a disability, had a life-threatening event, a congenital defect or death. So when you add all those up, you get just shy of 14,000. And and those, those Criteria are the definition of a serious adverse event. So what I'm mm -hmm. taking from this OIA is that between the reporting of last December and eight, the 12th of April, the serious adverse events went from 3,688 to about 13,800. Oh, my goodness. And that's just the serious one. So can we talk about this ratio oh, of 3,688 serious events and there were 64,815 events in total? Yes. In, in December's report. Yes. 46. I'm so with you. So we've got just shy of 14,000 serious reports. Oh, my goodness. What does that mean for the reports in total? So so I've got those questions in my head, okay? I've got this lady that got the multivalent, and I don't know what it is. And then I've got this OIA that talks about just shy of 14,000 serious adverse event reports. And so what happened, and that, that's sort of what has caused me to get in touch with you, is what happened sort of earlier, a week or so ago, I think, was some more um, COVID-19 reporting was issued by MedSafe. But they've changed. They're no longer reporting in the COVID-specific reporting system that they set up. And they've put it in where they report on, on all medicines generically. It's a system called SMARS. And what they've done there then is they've started afresh. So they haven't pulled over all of the reports. So they they reported 116 um, reports had been made in the intervening time. Yeah. Um, and that included six deaths. But we can no longer see 
the assessment number. We can no longer see all those. I mean, we, we had very little we could see before, but now we can see even less. But I'm I, I'm, I'm like, well, hang on. You can't say there was 3,688 serious adverse events reported in December and then say by OIA in April that it's gone up to just shy of 14,000 serious adverse events and then go and tell us that there's been 116 reports in total in the intervening time? No. The, but uh, One proviso, SMARS is reported quarterly three months in arrears. Got that. So what that means is what we're seeing reported this earlier this month was just for December. It went from the 30th of November, which was the cutoff date for the last report we had, until the end of December. So in So in July, presumably, we're going to see another report that will capture January, February, March. Yeah. What do you conclude from all of that? Well, I conclude that for whatever reason, um, there are a significant number, 10,000 serious adverse events that have been reported with a, a, you know, with some somebody's been suspicious enough that it could be connected to take the time to report it, and there's 10,000 of them that have not yet sort of seen the light of day in New Zealand in terms of reporting to the public. It all, and, of course, your suspicions, because you're talking to a person who would be dismissed by the Einsteins that write in our legacy media as a conspiracy theorist nut, i.e. me. But your suspicions are raised when at the same time the reports drop off, they're no longer coming out regularly, and that when they do come out, they're an entirely new format. So that the pattern and analysis cannot be completed. Yes, and at the same time, we have got, on average, you know, one of our academics is telling us there's nine extra people Mm. dying a day. You heard it here first on Reality Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We'll be back shortly with Kathy Jameson after my mailbag and just reflecting on what we were talking about. What else was happening in November 21? Boosters were starting then, but in November we also saw the mandates extend to those in healthcare, in education, and in prisons, as well as the vaccine passes. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10am.
here on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on Reality Check Radio. Remember to send us a text, 2057, email, inbox at realitycheck.radio. Oh, this is a bit of a favorite thing. I'm dipping into the mailbag, and I love I love this the most, funnily enough. I just enjoy the feedback, and I can't wait till we get the ability to talk live and interact with the audience. But for now, this is what we've got. Oh, here's one from Colin. Hello, the argument for speed versus lives. Oh, this relates to Martin Lally. Can't be accurately measured anyway. Longer driving times would also mean more tired drivers. Well, that's true, which increases accidents of all kinds. Also, there are billions of variables like that, surely. I guess, and I guess what we're doing is we're trying to isolate them and trying to understand them. But yes, uh, there can be confounding variables, no doubt about that. Uh, here's one from Colin, just switched on, overhead about a young 20-year-old lady. Oh, this is the strike. Actually, did anything happen with the strike? I don't think it sort of a bit of a fizz, wasn't it? Like Pink Shirt Day. Hoping to organise a march. Hope she's not going to pull out the other students out of class. I wonder how she has the right to disrupt schooling and has she gone through all the relevant procedures in organising a protest? But I suppose she has to go ahead from the government. Government should be ensuring the culture of learning, not protesting. Yeah, ain't that the truth? I mean, the idea that you have ministers encouraging kids not to go to school and protest, like you're the minister. You can do anything. Like you, you're making it happen and you're actually encouraging kids to not go to school, like school's not important to protest because what, you're not doing something? What on earth is going on? Here's one from Greg. Hi, Rodney. Awesome show. Well, we have awesome guests and we've got an awesome team and I just, I'm just here enjoying myself. So thank you, Kevin. Here's one from Terence. Uh, government give and take away. They said 11 million for the West Coast roads, but why have they taken away? First time on here. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, Terence, keep listening. We're going to love you. We love people coming in from the West Coast. How does Sophie's employers justify her stance? Thank God my kids never had her for a teacher. Oh, that's the lady organizing the protest. Not sure she was a teacher, but you're right. I wonder where she is employed. Is she employed? Does she have a job? Does she turn up? Or is she too busy protesting? Hi, Rodney. This is from Frank. Just listening to your show. Always so interesting. One thing is that you're not loud enough. Oh. My goodness, I have it turned up till it's going sort of red. Ah, I wonder if I'm too far away from the microphone. And anyone having trouble listening to me, let me know too. I have to be close to my laptop to hear you. I'm sorry about that. I wonder if you can do something about it. Keep up the good and honest work, Sylvia. Uh, thank you, Sylvia. That's wonderful. Here's one from Teresa. Love listening to your show. Really enjoyed your interview with Linda Wharton. Ah, I sigh when I think of Linda. What an amazing woman. What a truly extraordinary woman and what she's done. I work as admin for Te Fata Aura. Is that transport? Education? I think it's health. Health. Why can't they just call it the Ministry of Health? Unjabbed. Oh, good for you. All the way through this madness. Was giving marching orders in November 21. What an unbelievably awful, stressful time that was. I bet it was. Walked out the door only to be offered a work-from-home plan. That was a hard thing for me. I needed to pay my mortgage, but at the same time I felt shame 
for accepting this as no one, no one else was offering this. Fast forward to 2023, mandates are still in place. I no longer need to meet in the car park to hand over work. <laughs> sort of like you're a spy. I'll meet you in the car park at 805, and I will be wearing a trilby hat with a white carnation in the left lapel, and I'll have the New Zealand Herald under my arm, and I will hand you my work. Uh, I had to meet in the car park. I no longer have to do that. Um, it's been almost a year working from home. I do a couple of days in the office now, which, by the way, I love being. I love working at home and are far more productive. I'm also enjoying going into work. I'm in close contact with doctors, even though the rules are no longer than 15 minutes, which are beyond ridiculous and make no sense at all. None of this ever did. I have seen the damage this jab has done to many staff members. However, most are convinced it is COVID itself that is responsible for their long-term illness and not the jab. Proud to have stuck to my gut feelings that this was all wrong. Anyway, keep up the fabulous work, Teresa. Well, we're proud of you too and proud that you stood up. I'm proud up for every person that stood up to it. Good on you. And that was tough. Uh, hi, Rodney. Loving RCR. Just wanted to let you know about co Koanga Institute and the Wairoa and Kay Baxter, an amazing woman who has spent her lifetime collecting seeds and fruit trees that the early pioneers brought to New Zealand. I know you will love her story and the work she does to preserve those seeds for us and future generations. I would. These plants are more disease resistant than many of the modern hybrids. She has written educational publications on composting chickens, a recipe book, and growing nutrient-dense food, and how to go about that. Koanga have reached a stage of growing their vegetables without using any fertilizer after years of working towards this. You'll find out about Ramil woodchip and the huge benefits it brings. Kay uncovers subjects you're interested in, fungi, Fungi, I never know. Nutrient-dense food, chickens. Oh, I don't like chickens. Planting seeds by the moon and Western A. Price. I love Western A. Price. The permaculture gardens in the Wairoa are incredible. Unfortunately, they were hit with flood during Gabriel, but are bouncing back. There's a great website. Kay is a real New Zealand treasure, and I'm sure many listeners would love her knowledge. Would be fantastic if she had time to have a chat. RCR is awesome and helping to keep me sane. Thank you so much to you all. Well, I'm going to go to that webpage and I'm going to ask Kay to come on board because I love it already. I love the song, Rodney. What is it? Mm, don't know. Sorry. <laughs> um, I apologize. Rodney, you have such an empathetic warmth in all your interviews. Your big heart, big heart shines through always. I love your shows. You brighten my mornings. Thank you for being and sharing your beautiful self with our RCR listeners. Much love, and Amanda. Well, thank you, Amanda. That means a lot. But I think what I love about the show is I can just be myself. And for through this whole COVID thing, we found it tough, haven't we? But on this show, I don't feel the need to sort of, what's that Chris Hipkins phrase, pre-formulate my talking or check what I'm about to say because this is real talk and this is reality check. And so we can have a conversation like we used to have where you didn't have to 
check into the official narrative to see if you were on par for fear of being taken down. Here's one from Kinsley. Racism, four seats in parliament for one so-called race. Yeah, of course that's racist. Religion, separation of church and state. Remind Bishop Tamaki. I don't know, does he think there's a problem? I don't know. But yes, we. it's very important we separate church and state. Healthcare, controlled by overseas corporate interests or by our qualified people. I think there is a big issue. We've seen that with pharma. Parliament, since when is wearing a hat indoors appropriate, especially a stupid cowboy hat? I agree with that. I find it disrespectful. List MPs are owned by their parties and should not be able to cross the floor. They quit, they leave. New list member installed. Well, we're going to have to talk about that one day, Kinsley, because um, you're contradicting yourself because you're saying list MPs are owned by their parties and should not be able to cross the floor. Oh, I see. You're saying they should be owned by their parties. I don't know. I would like MPs to cross the floor more often and hold their leaders to account. And it shocked me. I don't believe that in the 120 MPs, there wasn't one MP that had some questions about the whole lockdown and the mandates and the COVID madness, but they were bounced into line by the party and the leadership, and that to me is wrong. I'd like to see the the renegade MPs like we had in the past that would actually stand up for something and hold them to account. Vaccine harm, very slow to wake up. They're still pushing this jab. Other countries have backed off quite. Am I in trouble yet? Gosh, no. You're on You're on Real Talk and Reality Check Radio. You've got a long way to go to get into trouble. I'm not sure um, getting into trouble is even even an issue as long as you are polite and respectful to others and let people speak because I'm a free speech absolutist. Um, We do have to keep the show interesting to what listeners are interested in, but I don't know what you have to say to get into trouble other than be rude, and we don't like rudeness. Apart from that, you can speak your truths and your views and make your arguments as you best see fit. Hi, Rodney. Great show as usual. Yes, many questions. Why did the government spend billions of dollars on a medicine that wasn't wanted or needed by most? Agreed. And now that we have a genuine crisis flooding, the money's gone and the government is going to close roads because they can't afford to fix them quite. Crazy, right? Absolutely crazy. Hi, Rodney. Great show as usual. Thank you. Yes, many questions. Why did the government spend billions of dollars? Oh, I'm repeating myself. Good on you, Rodney. My wife and I want the answers to those questions too. I'm the son of a returned soldier, and boy, am I proud of you. Thank you. Dear Rodney, thank you for summarizing so many of the ridiculous and hurtful aspects of the past three COVID years and all of the scars left behind for many New Zealanders. Indeed. Being a mandated person was really something else, and the crazy COVID rules. No wonder we still feel stuck sometimes, and I too still feel the need for those questions to be answered, and the ultimate betrayal, tricking New Zealanders to get jabbed with something which definitely wasn't a vaccine. He'd still need to roll for that. Yes, they do. Thank you, Rodney, because we haven't forgotten, and you are voicing that for many of us. Kind regards, Jackie. Thank you, Jackie. That was so lovely. Thank you for your heart and your courage, Rodney. Keep seeking and keeping up the good work. I have read the last chapter in the book. Guess what? In the end, we win, Linda. I think we do win. And this weekend with 
the people behind RCR, you know, the technical people and the other hosts. One of the hosts, or one of the guests said to me that we will win because the opponents have no humanity. And that is absolutely true, isn't it? With that government and those lockdowns and the opposition. No humanity. And that's what we love about Reality Check Radio. It's human. And so much of what we see is inhuman. And that's why we will win, because the human spirit conquers all. I too have been totally stuck. You made me cry. You gave me hope. Bless you. Oh, thank you. Hi, Rodney. It's hard to move on. I feel exactly the same. Much love. Thank you, Rodney, for your interviews and questions, which are so pertinent. Well done. None of us can move on because there's more coming, especially after who meeting, end of this month. Yeah, that's true. Thank you for your emails, please, uh, and texts. Please keep them coming, and I will read them out. And they do affect me, and they do keep me going, and they do mean a lot, just not for me, but for the team. Uh, send me an email, inbox at realitycheck.radio, and send me a text, 2057. Uh, we will read them out, and we love hearing from you. It's our way of keeping in touch with our listenership, who we're trying to learn more about to make the shows even better. And we appreciate every person who listens. And we're working very hard to do our very best for you. Thank you so much for listening and being part of what is a wonderful, wonderful enterprise and something quite new in New Zealand and possibly something quite new in the world. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, Reality Check Radio. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. Welcome back to Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. I'm here with my guest, the wonderful Kathy Jamieson, and we were just discussing the information received and Official Information Act requests and the discrepancies in the CALM reporting. Kathy, it's also... From what you've said, there's a suspicion that the adverse effects, the serious adverse effects, are accelerating. Um, Because we had 3,000 up till November last year, and now they're saying there's 14,000 just shy. Well, they might not be accelerating. There were, the OIA that had this table in that sort of showed these numbers um, also flushed out a whole lot of emails that identified that they'd had a few um, IT hiccups. Okay. Because I'd also noticed, as had a number of other people, that there was this big chunk in the line listing. So you start out with AEFI, five zeros one EFIA sort of five zeros two blah 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 and 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 they they didn't all go um oh what's that word sequentially um but but you got to thirteen thousand and there was this massive jump of 
nearly 7,000 numbers that were missing. So there were a few questions asked by people about, about that and that through the OIA process. And what that flushed out was that they had a few issues um, and they identified that, you know, when you fill out a form um, on the interweb, Rodney, yes. and you put in your credit card number yes. or and you put in the expiry date or uh, the date and you forget yeah. the flash. So it tells you you haven't done it right. Yeah. So their, their form on the, inter, on the web wasn't letting people know they'd made a mistake. And I see. And so, but it would submit. It would it would look like it had submitted, but it would then go and sit somewhere outside of the system. And they were supposed to be getting error reports, and they weren't. So at some point, they found a back a significant backlog, which they've said in these emails is thousands. So, it's the old story, is that we are wavering between cock-up and conspiracy. Yes, to quote Mark <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, of course, it could be a cocked-up conspiracy, um, which is always a possibility. Yeah. Oh, what what, what gets me, though, is that these emails were all uh, sort of around August, September, where they discovered they had this problem. So I I did wonder whether this problem was behind the delay in reporting mm -hmm. um, uh, because you could just imagine it, couldn't you? How, you know, everyone sitting around scratching their heads going, oh, we're going to have to issue a report where the serious adverse events go from 3,688 yes. to, you know, 13,850. Yeah, and even, even the New yeah. Zealand Herald might notice. Yeah, so, but, you know, the, the process, if you're not happy with the, um, the what you get in an OIA, is to escalate to the ombudsman. And spend a year. what's happening is, oh, what, sorry, what did you say? And spend a year there. Oh, at least. Yeah. At least. I mean, I spoke to someone the other day and I think they said 18 months to two years. Yeah. And and so I've kind of like, well, you know what, we don't have to stand for this. If if they're going to issue an insulting report that tells us that they've they've got 116 reports in total. No, no, you haven't. We know you haven't. So I'm not going to bother going to the ombudsman because I haven't got two years to wait. I'm going to call mm. Rodney Hyde. Well, what a wonderful thing. And here we are on the <laughs> interweb talking yeah. about it. Yeah. Now, we've followed that through and I've given you the space and I'm loving this. Can I now take you back or have you got something more to add in sequence? Can I take you back? So you said you had a reason why New Zealand cases were appearing in the American system VIAs, giving uh, you yeah. richer information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I have a theory. Well, it's more than a, I have. I've, a conjecture. So so there is this thing 
that I've printed out that I found on, you know what I'm going to say, the interweb, mm-hmm. which is the Code of Federal Regulations Title 21. And it's the FDA um, Department of Health and Human Services, subchapter D, Drugs for Human Use, subpart B, Investigational New Drug Application. So it talks about, in those circumstances, requirements that if Pfizer or a Pfizer subsidiary becomes aware of a whole lot of things which are life-threatening, adverse event, a serious adverse event, or a serious suspected suspected adverse event, then then they have um, an obligation to report it to the FDA. I see. So they have an obligation to be scanning the world, not just the United States. Well, they don't have an obligation to scan, but if... They're made aware. If they're made aware. So I suspect they're being made aware um, by our... And that makes sense. And that makes sense. Um, So So have we, have we, have we, Kathy, covered up to where your researchers have got to? Are you asking me, is that enough for today? Um, because there's, there's, I, I think we've we've sort of covered the main points. I mean, but but there's but other things we could, you know, if we were at a party, we might we, see the sun come up. Wow, I want to party with you. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah. There's more there. So yeah. you've come to Rodney Hyde. We're talking about it on the interweb. I've got to say that I'm impressed by you beyond all measure. Well, thank you, Rodney. Because that would try most people's patience and questioning. I myself can get into things like this and have done in the past, but never to the detail and um, ability that you have brought to it. And I love it. I absolutely love it. And I know how lonely it must be because you're beavering away seeing through this entire apparatus Mm. with these questions. And, like, I imagine the next-door neighbour that you see when you push your cat outside isn't sort of up to having a discussion with you about it. No. And that you are being a bit obsessive with your family because you're disappearing onto the interweb. (laughs) And then it's like, well, they use that phrase glibly gaslit, but you are being gaslit in the sense that you're sort of seen to be a mad person and everyone that's sane and sensible and in authority, like Mr. Seymour, are saying, no, 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 you're a conspiracy theorist. There's nothing to see here. But there are huge questions at the very least to be asked about all of this stuff. Absolutely. And you're and you're onto it. I'm picturing if we get through this, Kathy, I had to pause. If yes. we get through this and we arrive in a sunny 
split, beautiful place where we can be rational and debate things again, you'll be like Karen Silkwood and there'll be a movie because it's such a great storyline. I can see the movie. And the movie is about this dogged housewife (laughs) who sat at home with her three ducks on the wall, on the interweb, and not only that, pestered people because you pestered and had Zoom calls with experts and you tracked down John Gibson and you talked to medical authorities here and you pieced together a picture of government incompetence, misfeasance. We don't know quite what, but it's an... This is... This makes the Pentagon Papers and Watergate look like small stuff. <laughs> I, I mean that genuinely. I mean, this is this is people's health and, and there are questions about it. There's these databases, the level of incompetence, the lack of explanation. And here you are. It's extraordinary. Well, it's you know, you know lots of people, you know, there's lots of people that are doing are. a lot. There are. But, but see what what um what it, what it is, though, and I, I sort of came to this many years ago when someone was congratulating me for something I was doing, and I said, well, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not something that you should think, you know, really favourably about me for because, you know, I gave money to something. I was like, it doesn't mean anything to me, really. I'm not sacrificing much. What am I sacrificing? Being able to make a new dress, buy a new dress, you know, like, so... It's about finding the stuff with this that you can do because you've got the skills or you've got the, you know, to find Mm. your niche because that was sort of a big breakthrough for me was finding my niche. You know, I talked about reading all those science papers and things. I did that to convince myself. But once I convinced myself, I had to stop and I had to be quite disciplined with how I spent my time because I had to do the piece that I couldn't see anyone else doing and the piece that I could do well. Like, so, for example, at the moment, I mean, we haven't got on to because we could talk on and on and on and on. We haven't got on to talking about informed consent. So at the minute, I'm looking for somebody who's, you know, got graphic design skills because I want a graphic that you can actually put in front of people and show them how informed consent was actually legislated out of this process and um and or and influenced out. So it was impossible to get in New Zealand informed consent around these products. So I say that, A, because anyone who is a graphic designer that would like to do that, that would be awesome. But also that's an example of if that person did it, that would be huge. That mm. would have a huge well, graphic it wouldn't designer. Them, it wouldn't no. take them long, you know? Well that, that that's the point I'm trying to make is you can make an enormous contribution as long as you decide, and when I say you, I'm talking about everyone, as long as you decide where do your skills lie and how can you make the biggest impact for the least effort? And maybe mine is just having people on and asking questions. Like of course. You. Of course it is. Um, You've been huge in this. Uh, well, graphic designer, please, text 2057 and offer up your skills, and I'll pass it on to Kathy. Now, um, 
here's what we need, people. This is a the OIA is broken. The o, the official information act system is broken because the only thing that's supplied is what government really wants you to have, and anything they don't want you to have, they don't give. And um, they have an army, and we then pay for them. So we're paying for an army, and the army is keeping stuff secret. And then they have the ombudsman, and we're paying for him or her, and there's more ombudsmen more than ever, and they've got more staff. And they're busy waging war on the departments, and they can't keep up, and so it's an 18-month even to get considered, and the departments know this, and so it's a joke. Um, so that doesn't work. But what does work is a single MP because we need one single MP not to agree with us, not to say we're right, not to say, oh, my goodness, you know, I didn't realize this. All we need is a single MP to do their job on behalf of a constituent and ask for them some questions. And MPs can put in an unlimited number of written questions through Parliament to a minister that go to their departments for answer. And I used to know the process backwards, and I'd put in sometimes, I think famously, I put in 700 questions once. I put them in close to Christmas just because the department was annoying me. <laughs> um, but And they have, I think, five working days to reply. And the questions come back through Parliament and the Speaker oversees the system and they're strict. They've got to be answered. There's nothing more significant than a government department being asked questions by Parliament. And, of course, there's nothing more derelict than them dodging the question, or they can't refuse. It's just not possible. It's just the number one thing for a department. So I can re recall having constituents come to me with completely barking mad questions, but I'd put them in. And when they'd say to me, you know, ministers would come up, oh, I've got a stupid question for, from you, you know, what are you thinking? I said, no, I got a constituent come to see me and they wanted an answer. And I'm a good MP, and so I put it in. So we need at least just one MP who's just prepared to put written questions in. And I could help you with how you frame them, because I can oh. remember standing orders in that. But all of these would be subject to parliamentary questions, which would be answered within a week. So what we need, ladies and gentlemen, is an MP. And we can even say that we will draft up the questions for them because there are a lot of questions here and there's a lot of New Zealanders who want to know the answers. And even if our government doesn't want to know the answers, even if our opposition doesn't want to know the answers, even if all MPs don't want to know the answers, it's enough that a constituent does. Okay. So I suspect that's where we go, Kathy. And um, I'm happy to work with you on that because this put together is makes you a little queasy 
because we've yeah. seen we've seen we don't have to rehash what we've been through in terms of manipulation and now we're looking at hard data on the health and safety of new zealanders mm. and through design or incompetence or conspiracy or whatever it's not up to scratch and so we on this show will pursue it and we will try to get to the bottom of it and keep everyone up to speed because this is what sort of citizens power is all about and actually if we band together we can bring the skills together and we can bring the political pressure together. And um, I can imagine, for example, MedSafe appearing before the House Select Committee and having to answer live in Parliament, on camera, the questions yeah. that you and I would now have. When I had a look um, at the schedule of the House Select Committee mm -hmm. and I couldn't see anything happening or scheduled, um, for the rest of the year. So um, that is a question I had for you. Yes, um, well, the health the health select committees are a wonderful, wonderful thing, and I've got great stories. They're extremely powerful if you have an MP that is prepared to use their power. Now, you need someone who sort of doesn't mind upsetting their party or their leader or their seniors, but like a health, a health, the health select committee, one MP could be sitting in the health select committee and all they would say is, look, Mr. Chairman or Miss Chairman, I would either do it these days, probably him, her pronoun, whatever it is, they would say, uh, I really think we should get MedSafe along here uh, because I've got some questions for them. And in the normal course of events, the chairperson would say, sure, right? If you want them, they'll come. Request gets sent. MedSafe has been summoned to Parliament. They have to appear and take questions. And what they can't answer on the spot, they have to answer in writing. And in the normal course of events, that would be unremarkable. I would do that every second week, get the IRD. And I've got some questions for the IRD. They're beginning to annoy me because they're not answering such and such. I oh, will get them along to the select committee. No one would bat an eye. I say that in the past because I no longer understand our parliament or our politicians because, um, you know, their behaviour has been so bizarre and odd, you know, how the opposition and the well, government yes. have worked together. So, but that can happen and it should happen and we should try to make it happen. I'll, well, you and I will get onto it. It's, it's been wonderful having you on the show. I have enjoyed it. It has been fun. It has been illuminating. Um, I would think our listeners will love it, but we'll get feedback and we will see. Um, I would like you to have you back for updates and we will figure out a way of getting Parliament involved in this because we need some good questions and we will get 
uh, Professor John Gibson on. I've just emailed him. Uh, he's been overseas. You know, yeah. He's had uh, sickness issues because his stuff, uh, coldly and data-wise, is incredible. Mm. And um, so we'll get him on, and we will talk soon, Kathy. Can I thank you, Rodney, for all of that. Before we wind up, though, can I just say one more thing? Of course. Anyone who has made an adverse event report to CALM, um, it would be really helpful if they could email them and ask them for the AEFIA number for their report. Okay. And the the email address is C-A-R-M-N-Z, so CARMNZ, at otago.ac.nz. Because Say that again. C-A-R-M-N-Z, CARMNZ, at otago.ac.nz. Perfect. Now, and when they have that, um, I haven't got her details here, but Linda Wharton, if they can send that to Linda Wharton at the Health Forum. Gosh, I normally have that in front of me, but you can find it. I'll put it in the yeah. show notes on the because at, Or, so if you've made a report, please ask them for it and give it to Linda. And this is the AEFIA number. When you made your report, you have will have been given an AEFI number, but in more cock-ups versus conspiracy, those two numbers will not be the same. Any any um, sort of system with any sort of you know decent flow through, they would be the same, but they're not. Okay. So you have to email um, and ask them for the AEFIA number. And why why is getting that report useful? Well, because then I can build up a much clearer picture of who may have been left out. Got it. Right? And and also, if you haven't made a report and you've sort of been thinking, oh, I've always wondered whether the vaccine caused that, still make one. Because um, even if our authorities aren't going to look at this, we will. Because I'm working with a team of international academics so this information that's come out of VIAs for New Zealand has been put into a format that they can actually study and they can look at. Mm. And so they're currently sort of deciding on what their um, what their topic might be, what they might actually do with it. Um, so, you know, everybody... Um, this is true. Citizens, research, science, journalism, politics, uh, academia going on, isn't it? It's amazing. If, 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 if they're not doing it properly, we don't have to stand for it. No. And we can do it and then we can, you know, push them to, to do their jobs. And I'm working on who should play you in the movie. <laughs> Just all the people that didn't get put into the Hobbit, Lord of the Prince, just on them. <laughs> Those that didn't make the cut for the Hobbit. 
that's actually a good way of looking at it. Um, Kathy, that's wonderful. I you with real talk with Rodney Hyde. Uh, you're on Reality Check Radio. We've just had a wonderful long interview looking at databases of adverse events. And funnily enough, something that I never understood, I've now got an understanding of. And we've got some very, very serious questions, which we're going to be following up on, all thanks to the work of Kathy Jamieson. What an amazing woman. What an amazing uh, tenacity. And please, if you've got anything wrong, if you've got anything to add, if you've got anything insights, please, and I'll send them on to Kathy too, please text me at 2057 uh, or email me at inbox at realitycheck.radio. I think we've had, with this interview, a tour de force, world class. Thank you for listening. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Here on Reality Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Uh, send me a text, 2057. Please email me, inbox at realitycheck.radio. I'm a live and let live sort of guy. Uh, I don't mind uh, how people live. I get very upset at uh, pushing the idea that boys become girl can be can decide to be girls and girls can decide to be boys. Uh, I get upset that that's being taught to young kids. Uh, I don't think it's true. Uh, and I get very, very upset with the prospect that men and boys can enter women's changing areas and women's toilets and enter women's sports because I think it's unfair and I think it's dangerous and, frankly, offensive. Uh, I'm appalled by that. That said, if an adult male wants to put on a dress and walk around like a woman, uh, I have no objection. Uh, they can do it's their life. They can live as they choose. So I'm a very, very much live and let live sort of guy. Uh, and of course, it's when it crosses the boundary of invading other people's rights. And I don't accept that a man can become a woman by declaration. That's biologically impossible. Likewise, I'm very respectful of people's beliefs particularly their religious beliefs. And I don't, I, I go out of my way to be respectful of people's beliefs. Um, but there's that interesting line that gets crossed when someone's belief starts interfering with your ability to go about your business. And that's what I'd like to discuss today, just where that line is. I also think it's important that we have a state, a government, that is somewhat agnostic on religious belief. That is to say, the state doesn't enforce a religious view on everyone and that you decide what is the true and good religion by voting or who's in power. Again, I think that's because I I want people to be able to live their own lives and have their own beliefs and not have a belief enforced on them. So I like the idea of a separation between church and state. That said, I believe that our system of government, 
our values, our institutions are all based on the Christian belief. And the great thing about the Christian belief system is it very is very much a live and let live uh, system. You you have free will and you make your own choices. But I think it's important that we acknowledge that we enjoy the life we do because of what's gone before. And it's, for example, Christian belief that declared that slavery was wrong or that cannibalism was wrong or that uh, Jack's as good as his master. And all the wonderful things that we take for granted uh, have come through uh, a belief system, a set of values that, in our case, in the case of the Westminster parliamentary system that we enjoy, has come from Christianity. I say all that uh, by way of background because there's a troubling development in New Zealand, and I've got a particular example. This is from uh, the Manawatu, and the news report is dated on the 25th of May, and I just want to go through it and sort of raise this issue. I don't know quite how to handle this or what the answer is, but I think this is too far. And I'd be very much interested in what listeners think. Uh, am I being hypersensitive, insensitive, uh, overreacting? Uh, but here's how it goes. A Rahui has been placed on a popular walking track through the Manawatu Gorge after police were called to a sudden death in the area. So some poor soul died on this walking track. Uh, the police don't regard it as suspicious. So it's not part of a police investigation. A body was found on the western side of the Tiapati Manawatu Gorge track on Wednesday morning. Now here's where it gets controversial for me. Orangatani or Manawatu representative, Terry Happy, said the Rahui, which prohibited access to the area, covered the entire reserve and would remain in place until June 22nd. So that's a month. A month. So it is very upsetting that someone died, and we feel for that, but this is a fact of life. Everyone dies, and we die in different places. But how is it that someone dies on a walking track and then no one can access it for a month. Seriously? And who is Terry Happy to deny us access to a public walking track for a month? Now, Mr. Happy goes on to explain the length of the Rahui gives the Nari the forest, time to heal and reflects the cycle of the moon, he said. Now, this is where I sort of fall out of bed with all of this stuff because, and again, I'm, I, I hope I'm not being disrespectful to beliefs and, and, and I'm happy for people to believe these things and I'm happy for people who believe that the forest needs to heal because some poor soul died on the track, I'm happy for them to stay away. But I don't understand how their belief can deny everyone else access. 
because I don't think the forest has even noticed that someone died there. It doesn't know. To me. And to me, it's not been damaged. It's not sick. The forest hasn't become sick. It's not been damaged. And the forest doesn't need any time to heal because someone died on a track. Now, Mr. Happy clearly believes that, and he's welcome to his belief. But I don't see how he can enforce or stop others from accessing the track because of his, what I would say, odd belief. And again, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I don't accept for a minute that the moon has noticed this death and that the death has anything to do with the cycle of the moon and that I should stay away or everyone listening or everyone should stay away from this track because of where the moon is in its orbit around the earth. I mean, we're getting this all the time now. And again, I try and be respectful of people's beliefs and not mock them. But this is beyond the point. This is beyond the pale. And this isn't a belief system that we have built our country upon, actually. And it's not a belief system we all share. Um, we don't avoid a place for a month because someone died there. Like what happens in a hospital? What happens in a house? What happens on a road? What happens at a murder scene that the police are investigating? Do they stay away? No. And when it comes to the forest, we try and understand forests and how they work, and there's so much mystery to them, and they're so wondrous, but we try and understand them through science, and we don't attribute to them human characteristics or animal characteristics. And even if we, even if this is so, how come it's a month for the frost to heal? I guess this relates to the cycle of the moon. And that's why it's June the 22nd. But again, it, it, it literally doesn't make sense that one person's belief or stated belief, I'm not even sure Mr. Happy believes it himself. And yet we can't go to this track. Now, it's no imposition to me because I don't even know where the track is, but there could be, I, it could be a track I walked every day or ran every day or wanted to take my family to or travel to, and suddenly I can't access it, even though it's a public track. We didn't decide to do this, did we? We didn't decide that this would be the rule which we would live our lives and conduct our business about. No. It's not like, say, we're going to observe Easter with closing the shops or Christmas Day, which we have decided through our parliament and through our political system. 
No one decided this through a vote, to the best of my knowledge. And then we go on on this article. Te Apiti Manawatu Gorge Governance Group Chair and Horizons Regional Council Councillor Fiona Gordon said it was important people respected the Rahui. So this is an elected uh, member of the council, and she's saying that it's very important that we um, respect this Rahui, and she explains why. We know Te Apiti is a popular site for our community, but the Rahui needs to be honoured in order for the reserve to heal from this incident. Now, I'm afraid she's lost the plot because there is no need for the reserve to heal. A, a reserve can't heal. It can grow. It can grow back, but it's not been damaged. And yet here we have an elected member of the council saying we have to stay away from a reserve because it needs to heal because someone died there. So why just the reserve? I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's unbelievable, actually, this principle that's getting established. And again, all of us try and respect other people's wishes and desires and work with them and their beliefs. But it comes to a point where you're thinking, hang on. And then this elected councillor goes on to say, Ms. Gordon says, please stay away for now. Once it is lifted, we can all re-enter the space safely. Does this elected member even think about what she's saying? So if I went into that space now, it's dangerous for me. Like, a tree might get angry and fall on my head. She's seriously saying this. Please stay away and we'll lift it once it's safe. And it'll be safe once the forest has healed and the moon gets to some point of its cycle. This is madness. We're being run sort of like by the druids. Not only that, they go on to say, that Horizons and the Department of Conservation would halt any work in the area until the Rahui was lifted. Now, I don't know if they had any work going on, but imagine if they did. Oh, no, we can't work here. It's not safe. Why? Because someone died. Oh, when will it be safe? Oh, when the forest heals. When will it be a heal? Hang on, I'll check with the moon. No, I've checked with the moon, and when the moon gets to the certain point of its orbit, the forest will be healed. Oh, so the forest is damaged? Yeah, it's damaged because someone died there. Oh, and the moon's healing it? Yes, and when the moon gets to it? Yes. 
We don't have any cause and effect thinking anymore. We've abandoned Western philosophy, Western science, and have descended into an animism, a paganism. And not only that, this paganism and this animism is dictating what we can do and when we can do it and how we can do it, what work can be done. The council are putting up signs to say that the reserve is closed. Well, I don't recall us deciding to do all this, deciding to go along with it. I'm not going to rush up there to walk through the reserve and be disrespectful. But I'd ask that the council and Mr. Happy reflect on this, reflect on what they're saying, and ask themselves, mm, might they be pushing the rest of us a bit far? Or do they seriously expect us to sort of go along with their particular view that I don't think they themselves even live by. In fact, I get the sense that it's just a performance that they're putting on to show their power and to create a disruption in our lives because they can, not because of a good reason. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on Reality Check Radio. Send me your views, text them, 2057, or email me at inbox at realitycheck.radio. Thank you for listening. You've heard the words open, fair, both sides of the story. It's easy to say them, but practicing them often seems like a bridge too far. New Zealand, it's time for a reality check. Reality check. RCR, Reality Check Radio. Rational discussion, common sense, and open debate for real. With me, Paul Brennan. You know, you just can't make this stuff up. You couldn't write the script. Veteran broadcaster Peter Williams. Where is the evidence they actually make a difference? It turns out that was a very fair question to ask. Taking on the mainstream, Chantel Baker. Mainstream media, as usual, in their little perch. The man who cares so much and whose background is for real, Rodney Hyde. The doctors don't believe them. They can't get ACC. They can't work. They're told it's all in their head. Along with a raft of contributors to inform, entertain and bring the truth back to New Zealand media. It's time for a reality check, all right. RCR, Reality Check Radio at www.realitycheck.radio. We've arrived. You're on Reality Check Radio. Real talk with Rodney Hyde. That was the incomparable, the wonderful Kathy Jameson. What a tour de force that was. What an insight we all had. What a, we, we, I learned stuff that I never thought I could understand, actually, because I've looked at this reporting system and just shied away from it. 
and we have an insight into what's going on and we have questions and we will be following up those questions and we will be getting Kathy back. And together, we will get to the bottom of what is going on. Please send me a text, 2057. Send me an email, inbox at rallycheck.radio. And please stay listening because we love that you have us along to your house, to your place of work, to your car, into your life, into your community. It is such a wonderful feeling. Like I said, I met a lot of listeners and I met the people behind uh, the radio station that make it all happen. And it was just the most wonderful, joyous thing I have experienced ever. Oh, outside the river of filth, of course. Nothing can compare to that. That was the best of times. Thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk soon. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR Reality Check Radio.